Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello and welcome to British Indie Film Club, a new limited podcast series brought to you by Biffa and Little White Lies magazine, where we meet some of the most exciting voices from the British independent film world. I'm Leila Latif. And I'm Karis Aldridge. And today we're going to be speaking to actress, writer and director Samantha Morton about her incredible career and favourite British film. Each episode we'll be meeting a talented actor or director to find out how they got their break in film, what they love most about their profession and what the future holds. To celebrate Biffa's 25th birthday, we'll also be asking our guests to pick a film from the Biffa archives to discuss, either a cult classic or a contemporary gem from the past 25 years. From those of you who are regular listeners to Truth of Movies, you may recognise me. I'm a film critic and broadcaster and columnist. And I'm Karis, a film sales exec and podcast host. Over the last seven years, I've worked across film sales, marketing and distribution on UK independent films. And I've also participated in the Creative England producing calls supporting up and coming UK producers. Getting on to our subject, I got to talk to Samantha Morton. She was, of course, the recipient of Biffa's 2022 Richard Harris Award, which recognised an outstanding contribution by an actor. It is given to the actors who have contributed very highly to British films throughout their career and has previously gone to people like Judy Dench, Daniel Day-Lewis and Tilda Swinton. So yeah, pretty, pretty big people. (laughs) Pretty heavy hitters there. How was your chat? I loved it, by the way. Oh yeah, I was so excited to talk to her. I was so moved watching her just also give that speech when she was given that award. I mean, she was kind of almost in tears at the beginning of it. She kind of said that she thought that like maybe everybody had like forgotten about her. But then it kind of, it got like political in the best way. You know, she's not somebody who, you know, had a lot of privilege at all. I mean, virtually none. And it's kind of by sheer kind of grit and talent she's built this amazing career. I mean, like recently she's been on The Walking Dead and she said, I think she was the best thing she said last year, she's great in Darinovsky's The Whale, but you know, it's been decades of this. You know, someone who spent their childhood in care and, you know, then went on to win BAFTAs for her directorial debut, The Unloved, which was kind of touching on that, like, difficult childhood she had. But I'm, I'm always kind of slightly obsessed with the fact that Steven Spielberg released Jurassic Park and Schindler's List in the same year. Like, the idea that somebody had a year like that. 
Yeah, but then like Samantha Morton comes close in terms of something similar because in 2002, she's in Minority Report. She's in Lynn Ramsey's Morbon Carla, which I think is one of the greatest British films ever made. And she gets nominated for an Oscar for being in, in America. I mean, who can top that? That's, yeah, that is a crazy year for anyone. But yeah, what what a diverse and versatile actor she is she's incredible and you know the things that she kind of talks about a lot in this chat are in some ways getting worse like the whole difficulty of like breaking into the industry you know like the price of going to drama school like the fact that you know just to do these auditions to break in becoming london centric and london's getting more and more expensive and let's face it there's a reason there's a lot of nepo babies out there like you know there's a reason why basically a lot of these people these dynasties are kind of dominating why Lily Rose Depp I suppose is uh, the star of Sam Levinson's new show and Sam Levinson exactly. is himself the son of you know it, it all comes back to it all writes itself I completely agree with you I was also there and was able to watch Samantha's speech and it was it was really like emotionally rousing and I think it's just very surprising to I don't know you or I or the general public that she would have this feeling of almost being quote unquote forgotten because she has got such a long and celebrated body of work. And she's, you know, as you've just mentioned, work with some of the greatest people and, and artists. So it was really fascinating. And I think the other thing that I really took away from it, and this shouldn't necessarily be a surprise because of the types of projects that she has worked on in the past. You know, she's a very socially and morally conscious person. She's a very understated politicized creative which i think is really refreshing and nice to hear her talk about so openly and honestly with you and i really appreciated her honesty in in your discussion and yeah you know obviously you see that with her with her future debut the unloved and even her recent projects so I really appreciated her having that having that discussion for yeah. sure. I, I I left really inspired by the conversation, but then also kind of sad because I was like, where are our next Samantha Morton's going to come from in this kind of like increasingly difficult world to break through as an actor or a creative without without a lot of privilege behind you but I suppose the great thing is like someone like her is so determined to kind of create that for the younger generation with like the projects that she's into and kind of pass on a lot of the kindness that she talks about she received. Yeah absolutely you can see how much her career has been influenced by her relationships with particular filmmakers or other artists and how much she's absorbed and grown as a creative, whether that's acting or directing or, you know, she talks about how she started off as a runner and then has kind of worked at so many different facets of production and things like that. And just, yeah, how important that is to to be, you know, as, as great as she is and as celebrated as she is. And it's nice to hear that she understands the importance of legacy and bringing that to a next generation. But I completely agree. I mean, I only started my career seven, eight years ago and I know I worked as many people do as in a post-production house as a runner and I know the pennies of a salary that you are offered at that stage and and truly in the world that we live in right now or the London or the UK or whatever there's no way of that being a livable wage at all it really is only a job now that is open to people who might have a family or people who can financially support them and that's just really disheartening because you know there are so many voices that should and need to be heard and not really getting the opportunity yeah well not to end things on a dark note but no. <laughs> no. 
right. Hope everybody enjoys this chat with the incredible Samantha Morton. Hello. Hi, Samantha. How are you? Hi, I'm very well. Who am I talking? Layla. I'm talking to Layla. Hello. Okay, it feels so ridiculous with a career like yours to even try and condense it, but Lifetime Achievement Award at the Biffers. Do you have a sense of what you consider your greatest achievements career-wise? The Richard Harris Award meant a huge amount for, obviously, in regards to being around a while and stuff. And But I know that younger people have received that award as well. And so I didn't kind of see it as like a lifetime achievement award. Maybe it is, I don't know. But more just in honour of Richard and what he stood for and his attitude towards acting, if you like, his manifesto, his, his way of living through his work. Um, and I was very fortunate to work with him on my second film. But it was my first kind of, I suppose, big film in a way that he was the lead. Uh, Gabriel Byrne was in that. John Lynch was in that. Lots of other Irish actors who are now very, very famous were in that film. The Good Friday Agreement had just been signed. So it was a funny time, a very vibrant time, but a funny time to be working in Ireland. And Richard was both, if you like, a co-star, but he also used to educate me about the world and life and he was a wise sage, just giving me lots of advice and explaining things to me that nobody had ever explained to me. He could see that I was somewhat different than, I suppose, your average actor out of drama school. And I think there was something about how he reacted to me that made me feel validated, made me feel that it was okay that I was acting and I was going to be all right and I had a right to be there. And it empowered me. Who he was and how he communicated was something I would never, will never forget for the rest of my life. So getting an award with his name on it meant more than just like, let's say it was something incredible, you know, in a different capacity from another academy or, you know, saying we recognize your work in the industry. It, it wouldn't ever feel as amazing as this does. So yeah, that's, so that's what it meant to me. And also the Biffers being what they are, I was blown away and so grateful and genuinely as an older actress and someone who has been like around properly since I was 16, but I was working from the age of 11, 12. I just felt, wow, I still have a bit of time left to keep doing what I love because there certainly has been traditionally a shelf life for women. So that I felt a little bit excited by the fact that maybe people that were in the audience will go, oh, who is this person? What, who do we, you know? And, and research me a little bit and go, oh, maybe she'd be good in this film or that film. So I had, because I'm still, you know, it was only, it wasn't very long ago I was um, doing another showreel because a lot of younger people just haven't seen my work or know who I am. I mean, it does seem that so often it's written about you that you're like unrecognisable in a part or like, you know, you're seeing her like you've never seen her before. Do you think that sort of maybe chameleonic element is why people perhaps don't know that they know you? I think that's from an audience perspective. I think from an industry perspective, there's always new people at different jobs. I mean, I've been, as a filmmaker, I've been trying to get a film financed for quite a while now, and I'm, I'm coming up against a lot of brick walls. I mean, even after I won a BAFTA for The Unloved and all the actors won BAFTAs and were nominated for BAFTAs, and it was, I was nominated for a BIFA in the director category, I couldn't get an agent as a director because they said, we already have a female. And not only could I not get an agent, I, I've approached many writer-director agents and they just, it's a brick wall. And there's a situation where I think for women, like if a guy had made their first film and they'd have won those awards, there would be people banging the doors down to talk to them about future projects or what would they like to do. But as a female, there was nothing. And 
I wonder if I were male and my first film had done that well, if it would be the same. I just wonder. I, I do, because mm. I understand that there's, it's a very competitive industry and I respect that. And I think it has to be fair. And from a socialist perspective, I shouldn't get kind of, hey, you're Samantha Morton, you should be, you know. However, mm. I have made a film previous that, that people responded to and it is just really tricky out there, really hard. People just don't want to know. Um, as in, they either read the script, luckily a couple of people have read the script and said, sorry, it's not for us, but most of the time they won't even read it. They won't even look at the deck. It's really, really tricky. So as an actor, I had this assumption that because I've been working for years and I do a lot of independent cinema and some television that's quite high profile, that you're out there. But that that is a misconception because even at 45 years old, having achieved what I've achieved, it wasn't long ago, I had to get someone to do a showreel because a lot of people just didn't know my work because time moves so quickly. God. That's absolutely extraordinary to me. That's really shocking. I mean, I just assumed with The Unloved that that was the one film you wanted to make and, you know, maybe weren't interested in directing, but that is something you want to do more of. I kind of said that in a couple of interviews and then I retracted that. Mm -hmm. Once I went into development on my second feature and made that very kind of industry known that I was looking to make more films. Fingers crossed for me, eh? <laughs> You've worked with like a lot of incredible directors, obviously, you know, you've got Spielberg, Lynn Ramsey, Kaufman, and now um, Aronofsky. Has working with any of them in particular shaped what you want to do as a director and as a performer? I've learned from everybody. And even without thinking, hey, I'm going to learn today, you do soak up your environment if you're open to that. And if you're open to wanting to better yourself and your craft, because my sole responsibility when I'm acting, I believe, is the script and the story and my director. And together, we do the best we can in regards to bringing this character to life. Certainly when I was a younger actor, that's all I thought about. That was my main focus. And then when I went into directing, whether it was music videos, art things, or my first feature, then you kind of go, ah, right, I understand why that happened. And that was that way. And, you know, but I had, when I was younger, done extra work before I became a talking actor, as in like having a few lines and then having a supporting role and then a leading role. So I worked my way up in that way. I was a runner. And then when I was very young for student films that my friends were making in Nottingham, I was boom up. And, you know, having had friends that are producers and script writers or playwriters, I've kind of been behind the scenes in lots of different areas in order to bring all that together when it was my turn. But nothing teaches you like doing it. You know, obviously with Darren Aronofsky, that was a recent project, but I wouldn't say that I, I want to make my films like Spielberg or I want mm -hmm. it to look like, I want this element to be a Cronenberg aspect. I feel that I'm hopefully visually telling the stories that I want to tell from my perspective. And if I've learned anything from any of the, if you like, auteurs that I've been fortunate enough to work with, I think Michael Winterbottom's aesthetic and attitude has helped me the most, which was this, he empowers the actors to be in their characters. And the crew, the filming process is almost voyeuristic as opposed to the, the cameras that God mm -hmm. and the actors support the camera. You know, I I think that story and I, and I love Cassavetes and I love Ken Loach and I love that kind of filmmaking that I've watched as a younger person that brings the story and the characters, the character analysis and study to, to the forefront, and then the camera finds and and supports that. That's kind of where I'm. At the moment, as a director, I think different projects will require different skill sets. But there's certainly the stories I want to tell at the moment are more in that realm. So I think out of everybody, it has to be Michael Winterbottom that's influenced me the most because of his attitude towards the crew, the set. He's so supportive, yet 
relaxed he doesn't bring stresses to everybody he's mm. not like this troubled genius or you know like so many of these directors they're brilliant but they kind of have they have an ego they have something they bring to the project and I understand the pressure for some of those people as well that they have you know they've got to get it right I'm not talking about Spielberg here um, <laughs> but you see what I mean people have a their own nerves as, as directors that they have on their projects that it has to be good otherwise they won't get another film made or they have to somehow have an angle on something that is different different to someone else and also a lot of directors you get to work with they often haven't made that many films in between their last film whereas as a working jobbing actor if you like I've been on loads of film sets whether it's television film and touch wood you know always working so I'm able to just see constantly on hundreds of sets what works for me and what doesn't work for me and what I see work for other people and sometimes what doesn't work for other people so I kind of get all that together and hope that when I have a go, I'm mindful of the positives and the negatives. It's interesting that the film that you kind of mentioned for us to talk about is Ladybird, Ladybird, because it's got that political side of it as well. And it does seem to be that's something you're very interested in. Clearly, you're kind of quite open with your politics. Is that why this film kind of appealed to you? Not when I was younger. I didn't realise I had kind of a political thing in that in that way. Of course, I was very political personally, but not in regards to art. I mm-hmm. think art is, is separate. And the reason why Lady Bird, Lady Bird appealed to me was because it felt very personal. My mother had her children taken into care and she fought my whole childhood, fought the authorities and failed. And so I felt that it was, to me, was really special about that film. And at that time in Britain, was that you had a representation of a working class woman being the the lead of a film and also doing things that she was not the heroine. You know, there were choices that she made that you were like, oh my gosh, please don't do that. And you see what I mean? So it's like putting a real person front and centre of a film to me is so powerful. That's why I have issues with TV shows like The Crown. I can see the craftsmanship or, you know, mm-hmm. craftswomanship or whatever we say now, you know, I can see the attention to detail and I can see the brilliance certainly of someone like Claire Foy or Matt Smith or Helena Bonham Carter. I can see that and the writing and the directing, but it's like, why? Why? We have this window in our lives to talk and to say things. And I think that there has to be room for both, that you have to have room for your superhero movies and the escapism. But even those people find real genuine reasons why their stories are important. Storytelling is important. Through storytelling, we reflect, we look at our own existence, what matters and giving back, giving back to society, I think. And we live in an age, my husband talks about this, of the the me, you know, we kind of seem to be developing into a narcissistic human race at the moment. The individual rules, what do I need? What do I want? What is this person giving me? You know, how many followers do I have, you know, this this world of looking looking in a mirror back at ourselves with social media or just the pressure that people are under. I'm talking in that kind of way, not in a global perspective, obviously. And I think that reflects in cinema and television in how that these characters are written or, gosh, what gets commissioned. So I feel compelled and driven to make stories that are inspired by real people in regards to, I suppose, the word political is is a strong word to use, but with a, I have a social conscience. Clearly this does matter. I mean, with something like Lady Bird, Lady Bird, it's asking people to empathise with someone who is, you know, just have to look at any copy of the Daily Mail would be so easily demonised. No, absolutely. And I remember when 
tragically, Madeleine McCann went missing. And I remember thinking if her parents were from a council estate in Nottingham, from, let's say, Broxtow in Nottingham, they'd be arrested. They would have been arrested for child neglect and her their other child put into care. But because they were doctors and they were educated people, it was a tragic situation of abduction and they escaped all charges. Yeah, it is really remarkable when you kind of take a step back to see who British society gives grace to and who they just write off. Yeah. And I'm not saying that I wanted Madeleine McCann's parents to be arrested at all. I'm just saying that it was interesting to me to think if it had been different. Yeah, terrible, really. But hopefully more voices will be heard. We'll kind of build a better tomorrow. But I don't know. Sometimes it feels like it's getting worse, I suppose. But it was tough, I think, in the 80s as well. And it it, it took men like Ken Loach to tell these stories. And like at the moment with Dominic Savage and Lovely Krish uh, from Me and You Productions, who, you know, they are, again, men telling female stories. We need women telling yeah. these stories. That's what I think. As, as well, you know, they're, they're stories at the end of the day. So it's, I think it's wonderful that people want to tell these stories, but please give us the respect and the opportunity to tell our own stories in the way that we, we deem fit. Yes, I fully agree with you. Baby steps are being taken, I think, where giant strides are needed. Hmm, confidence and faith. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. Thank you. I'll leave you to get on with your busy day. But thank you so much for your time. Thank you. So, Karis, I mean, was this the first time you came to Ladybird, Ladybird? I am ashamed to say that it was for me. <laughs> it was. And I feel like it should go without saying this shouldn't be confused with the 2017 Greta Gerwig Ladybird. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I thought when I first heard it. It is Ladybird, Ladybird, Ken Loach. But yeah, it was my first time coming to it. And I was really emotionally affected by it. I think it's a very kind of unflinching tale and it's a true story as well which I think also makes it very saddening and and harrowing but I thought it's fantastic yeah I mean I've always been a big fan of Ken Loach but somehow this one had just passed me by always on the list of things that I was gonna get around to but for listeners who who don't know what the film is about it's about a woman called Maggie Conlon who's an unmarried mother and she's got four children by four different men she's kind of left them because they're all very abusive relationships one night she ends up leaving her children alone at home and then there's a kind of a fire that breaks out and uh, social services essentially take them away and the film is essentially the battle for her to try and get them back and to try and rebuild her life and just the system really not having any kind of care for like what is in the best interest for this woman or or generally in the best interest for these children it's a very very difficult film to watch particularly knowing that this is the sort of thing that happens Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, Ken Loach is, he's been around for such a long time now, but he's such a celebrated filmmaker known for this brand of like British socialist realism. And yeah, Lady Bird, Lady Bird is no different in that respect. It is such a harrowing tale that is exploring all of those issues about how broken this system is in social care, what we do about safeguarding children, domestic abuse. And it is very interesting, I think, actually to watch it now in 2023 as opposed to the 90s and how some of those conversations have slightly changed or developed or the fact that we have kind of new linguistic terms to talk about some of this stuff specifically. But um, it's a very difficult but necessary watch for sure. I mean, it kind of goes to what we speak to earlier in a period like this where there were, to a certain degree, there were more 
opportunities for working class filmmakers and actors to kind of tell stories with like a very truthful outlook on on those sorts of things like this is the sort of film where it feels like might not get made anymore because it is like everything is so dominated by middle class perspectives and I think you know particularly the way the British media is like this is not kind of the sort of woman that I would necessarily be handed with a lot of nuance you know she'd either be painted as entirely a victim or as a monster I suppose. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. I think it's it's difficult and it's a conversation that we're constantly having, which is how kind of binary and divisive our society becomes. And that works also towards like the wealth disparity. You know, we've got the most billionaires that we've ever had. And then we've got, you know, a cost of living crisis. We've got really, you know, disturbing levels of poverty. And it's so interesting that as all of this is happening in terms of filmmaking and the creative space, let's say, that our fascination seems to be with satirising the rich and and really like looking at that. I mean, if at the moment I'm obviously watching Succession, we've got, you know, Triangle of Sadness, The Menu. We are, in terms of filmmaking, so fascinated in that. And yet there's not enough level or creative care taken to looking at the other side and I wonder when that happens or or what triggers that in terms of kind of turning the camera back and looking at at that part of society really yeah I mean I, I don't kind of want to also suggest that like this film is just like fully a political message <laughs> like it is also like no. a beautifully <laughs> made film I mean is there anything I mean you know in the performances or in the style of it that really stood out for you Yeah, I mean, Chrissy, it's Chrissy Rock, isn't it, who plays the lead. She is just so captivating. I think a film like this, it really hinges on her performance. And boy, is she giving a performance. It's, yeah, she gives it so much heart and so much nuance, as you say. And I think this is also a testament really to Ken Loach and his approach to filmmaking, which is very naturalistic, that you don't feel at any point that you are watching a performance, which I think, you you know, we can do. We can watch something and think, God, that is a great bit of acting. It never feels like that. It literally does feel like we are a fly on the wall of a of a very intimate moment and i think that's what makes this film so good in so many parts of it but yeah the way that her relationship with george and and a lot of those interactions as well that really show her past and her reality i think are fantastic so yeah no i think there are fantastic performances in this all around i just love that so many things can be unrelentingly miserable and i don't you know i'm not this is a very very sad film in many ways but there's something like deeply humanizing to me that even in like all of the terrible things that these people are going through and these tragedies that they face there's still that slight room for love there's that room for warmth there's that little moments of kind of hope and romance and you know all of the stuff that makes life worth living I suppose. Yeah even the moments of her you know singing the karaoke at the pub or the little laugh that they have when they're hosing down the neighbours like you're completely right it, it it really is highlighting those little moments it's really nice it's a great it's a great film I definitely recommend to people who haven't watched anything or like the Ken Loach stuff before it's a good introduction I think to some of his stuff yeah I mean and not to damn um, Ken Loach who's obviously a master filmmaker but I, I felt that that kind of tipped too far in the 
out of that when it came to I, Daniel Blake. I know that it did win things in Cannes, but that seems to so messaging first, whilst this to me feels like character study first, I suppose. It's a very, very impressive filmography. And as much as like horrific things were happening in the 90s when this was happening, I mean, he's going to be drawing from some stuff (laughs) 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 with his latest... Yeah, do you know much about it? It's based where it's is it based in Durham? The old oak has new one. Yeah, so from what I understand, it's about a pub landlord who was previously in a thriving mining community, um, who's kind of losing his pub, and then a lot of Syrian refugees arrive also in this town that is already kind of struggling. So I mean, I I kind of trust him to sensitively depict those tensions. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds really good. No, I really enjoyed Lady Bird, Lady Bird. So I also think that, you know, it's not to, to like put anyone off, and but I do think sometimes those are very necessary watches because I'm that person who can sometimes be quite guilty of <laughs> being like, no, it's too, it's too sad or it's too this. But you're completely right in that actually it is very much a character-based story. And obviously the things that she goes through are sad and, and can be quite harrowing at, at points, but that fundamentally it is about, it's about Chrissy Rock and that character of Maggie. And that's kind of it at its core. So. And I, I always love the Roger Ebert thing of that like movies are fundamentally machines for empathy. And yes. this is a film with like so much empathy and then I think it stays with you and passes on into your empathy when it comes to people that perhaps might have been overlooked like I think it's you know the power of movies to actually make you I think genuinely some movies can make you a better person and and some of Ken Loach's work falls into that category yeah absolutely I think that is the best thing about films is that they're providing a different perspective on certain events or topics or people that you haven't thought about before or, or yeah communities that you've not interacted with and things like that and that's yeah that's really where films can be powerful and they don't have to just be poncy marvel movies that are just saying nothing they can actually have a bit of a moral purpose which is quite nice i don't know i would say some of those movies are saying something and what they're saying is fascism yeah <laughs> That's for our next episode. <laughs> yeah, well, next episode will be coming out, I suppose, in a few days' time. To anyone who does want to watch Ladybird, Ladybird, it is available to rent on most streaming platforms such as Amazon Prime, Apple TV, etc. So definitely uh, give it a watch. And dive into the year of 2002 and just watch those three Samantha Morton films and then look back on your year and feel how little you've accomplished in comparison. Would strongly recommend. It's a humbling experience, (laughs) indeed. Biffa celebrates, promotes, and supports independent filmmaking and filmmakers in the UK. Keep up to date with the latest releases and exciting names in an independent film by following Biffa on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Twitter. This podcast was produced by TCO London and edited by Bob Stankus. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. 
That's stamps.com code program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.